0: Please dive in. Hey, folks! Welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. Today, I have another one of those full circle moments coming up. I'm actually getting to interview George Kalantzis. Now, George was one of my first clients when I was putting Man Uncivilized together before the movement really existed. Just back when I was doing one-on-one coaching before the uncivilized nation, before the uncivilized body, before the uncivilized mind, before all the challenges, before even the book, uh, George was my client. And he was in the fitness industry, was going through a hard time. And he had an idea that perhaps he may want to do some writing. So I remember pushing him and encouraging him and telling him, you got to start journaling, you got to start writing. And man, full circle moment, because I am holding George Colantis' book, Nowhere to Go, in my hand. So this is an amazing conversation about his journey over the last couple of years of going from divorced, to getting sober, to starting writing, to thinking maybe writing's a thing, to actually writing and publishing his first book. This is a hugely inspirational story. And this man has done the work. He came to the workshop with Lila and I. He's done so much work over the past couple of years. And so to hold this book is just phenomenal. And I know you're going to get a lot out of his story because this is not a like, oh, I had an idea and I threw it on social media. And then I made seven figures in six weeks, normal bullshit story. This is a, I woke up every morning at 5am and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I dealt with hard shit, and I raised a kid, and I fought my demons, and I like did all the things. So dive into this one. It's it's such a pleasure to bring you both the book, Nowhere to Go, and my good buddy and brother, George Colantis. Enjoy. George Colantis, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. This has been a long time coming, brother. It's It's cool to be on the other side of the mic, and I will say with my entire heart, It is fucking cool to be holding your book. So for people who haven't gotten their hands on nowhere to go and don't know who you are, would you mind just giving us your, I know the dirty American elevator pitch of like (laughs) who you are
1: and and what you
0: do. And then we're going to dive into some of your story.
1: Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about this is I'm still trying to figure that out to be truthful. And that is crazy (laughs) to hear, but Overall, from the grand scheme of it, I'm at a place where I'm empowering others to overcome some of the toughest days of their lives. Mm. And my words are a safe space for them to find their voice and unlock their potential. Brilliant. And so I imagine that you were just born this way,
0: and this is what you've been doing for your entire life. And there's no backstory to any of this. And so I'd love it if you would correct me if I'm wrong.
1: (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think you know this story more than I know the story. (laughs) But yeah, you know, I'll start with Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher. He said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must live forwards. Mm. And Mm. so to me, that means that there are really three defining moments in my life over the last few years that I've come to try to be more aware of. And that was the the decision to join the Marine Corps, the decision to leave the Marine Corps, and then the choice to file for divorce. Mm. Okay. Walk
0: me through each one.
1: Sure. So, the The choice to join the Marine Corps was at a point where I was deemed a failure in life Mm. by everyone around me, my dad, my family, the teachers, and I'm a 17 year old kid, you know, I'm in drugs and not really going the best of the way. So I thought I would work for my family. My dad is emotionally abusive, you know, no one really there to support me. I wasn't that good at sports. So like I quit because I didn't have the guidance to keep going. So I was like, cool, I'll work for the family. And then something hit. We're going into senior year. Well, I'm not going into senior year. Everybody else is going into senior year. Um, They're telling me about colleges and all these plans. And I didn't have a plan. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'll work for the family. Sounds cool. And so we're at a like homecoming carnival in August, uh, early September. I'm drunk, 17-year-old kid. Marine Corps recruiting boots there. Pull up. I'm like, oh, I can do that. So I get seven pull-ups. Pretty good for a 17-year-old kid uh, with no plan. Get a little card, wake up the next day with a card in my pocket. I'm like, the heck is this? Hungover? over. I'm like, so I call them, they say, I No, I wanted to become a Marine. They're like, sure, you can become a Marine. You know, they show me all these cool little things, travel the world and thing. And then they're like, are you gonna graduate high school? I was like, no. They're like, yeah, you can't become a Marine. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? I want to serve the country. This was before 9-11. Mm-hmm. So we're going into the year, September now, early September, September 1. 9-11 hits. I remember, it, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I'll never forget the day. Mm-hmm. The announcements, the, the plane going through the TV. I walk up. I'm the only guy standing in the class. I walk right up to the monitor. My heart's beating fast. I got the chills. I walk out of school that day with a good friend. We walk into the recruiter's office. I'm like, I'm ready. I like, dude, this guy's ready. You're still not going. You can't graduate. I was like, come on, I'm ready to go. He's like, we'll work out a plan. So we worked out a plan to go to school early as fuck in the morning i mean like as early as it opened up sat there with the teacher while i was doing school work went to school all day while everybody's out partying and getting ready for graduations things like that into the evening doubled up on classes did whatever i could to graduate to become a marine bam so bam. you become
0: a marine mm. and tell me a little bit about that how that shifted you
1: how that changed you how that molded you and then why did you leave yeah so little did I know at the time, now I know, but I didn't know at the time that I was joining the Marines to still try to prove myself worthy of being a young man. Mm. It was as if I was still looking for something. So mm. to me, because I never knew what a man was or had to be or anything like that, at a young age, like most of us, I joined the Marine Corps because it was the best of the best to prove to everyone that I had what it take to not be a failure. Mm. So I thought I was, you know, going to spend 20 years in the Marine Corps, travel the world and changed my life. And it was going to be awesome. Like what you saw in the movies. Well, first year and a half, I ran into losing my best friend in combat, um, 2004. I escorted his body home, which was one of the hardest things to do, especially at 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, being on the, being on a plane, you know, and his body underneath the plane While well, everybody's congratulating me for like joining the service and I can't mm-hmm. cry or anything. I'm holding it tight. Like I'm bringing his body home. And going through the funeral with his, his parents and his family and all the stuff, and so that was a tough year for me at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, never really facing death before, and not having anyone to talk about it, and that was the first time I I remember like running from feelings. And uh, I went to join American Embassy duty, which is like top five percent of the Marine Corps to guard embassies for three years, and that was. Another time where everything kind of started, caught it up to me. I started uh, drinking a lot and partying and turning to sex and just really running away from everything I need to feel from that one event. Mm. And that carried over for much of my career, actually. And during that process, it was like this Napoleon complex. Like I was never good enough for like when leaders told me to slow down and do it. All I heard was like, you're a failure. You're not mm. enough. Like mm. I felt guilt and shame for his death. And so at the end of my 10 years, I chose to leave honorable, um, because I got a DUI like right before I was leaving. Oh, okay. And, uh, it was just time where they're like, Hey, you know, we're not going to get you in trouble because you've served us pretty well, but you're probably not going to get promoted. Mm. And so we, we chose to end the contract and it was it. Okay. Talk to me a little bit, if you would, about, first of all, thanks for sharing that
0: so openly. There are a number of law enforcement military guys that follow this podcast, and I think it's just really important to be real and to be honest that you're getting tasked with something at perhaps at an age when it's a, like you can handle it, but I imagine without any training or without any insight or mentorship or guidance into, hey. You, this is what you need to do to be okay after flying your body's, your buddy's body home. I doubt they pulled you aside and were like, "Hey, man, here's some great resources for you. Here's a little time off. Here's a psych- psychologist. Here's a support group." Uh, yada yada. I imagine that's not the case. So I appreciate you just being honest here because I know that that story is going to land with some other people. George, yeah, would you, you mind? Would you mind sharing? because you're about transitions, right? So I was never in the military, but I worked with a number of guys who, who were. And the transition from such a structured system and such an enclosed system to such an open, unstructured system, uh, such as the civilian world, has got to be a fucking ride. Would you mind talking a little bit about, one, what were the good parts of that? And then two, what were the challenges for you?
1: Oh, whew. so there, there were so many great parts because I felt like I was going to be free into the world. Mm. That, was, that was the freedom I think a, a lot of us seek in the military. Like, what is it like on the other side? Mm. But as we know, it has a double-edged sword. Yeah. So while I was excited after 10 years to figure out who George was and not have the identity of his Marine claim, um held so tightly to myself, I rushed into life at 27 years old. After a decade of traveling to the world over 40 countries, honorable service, and doing all the, the great things that the military offers if you take advantage of them, I didn't know what was, what was to come. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did the the shoulds in life. So mm-hmm. at 27 years old, I thought I should get an MBA. Mm-hmm. I thought I needed to start a family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's because I felt so lost. Mm-hmm. And so that transition was extremely scary because what it appeared to me, and it it is not like that as I've been almost out for 11 years now, is that everyone was against each other. And we were in this competitive nature, which is great, but because I never developed a healthy relationship with any older men in my life, or in fact, any real men, except what I had in the military, I was scared shitless. Mm. And so the only thing that made me feel safe was to have a direct path in life. Okay. And anything that wasn't on that path made me feel like isolated, depressed, lonely. And I had to get Mm. very like competitive with anybody who was in my path. Wow. I imagine that's, it's super common.
0: You know, we we say this to guys at the start of every nation call of like, Hey, just take a breath and realize that you're on safe ground that perhaps for the first time in your life, there's 50 other guys on this call who are pulling for you, who want the best for you, who, if you fall down, will pick you up, who, if you are standing, will help you stand taller. But that's such a a unique experience for so many men. And I'm not, and I don't, I don't think it's unique, George, just for prior Marines. It's like a lot of us got out of college and we're like, okay, everybody's the fucking competition competition for a job, competition for money, competition for women, competition for attention, competition for identity. Like we don't look at the male world and be like, fuck, yeah, I got 3 billion brothers, right? (laughs) That ain't how it works. Uh, Can you talk a little bit then perhaps of what were some of the after effects or challenging effects of that kind of living?
1: Sure. So I felt safest when I was in, engaged in an uh, intimate relationship, mm-hmm. right? That just, if I had a relationship that made me feel complete. And on the other side of that, and I talk a little bit about the book, but I didn't really realize this. I had really good mentors in my life, but mm-hmm. because I didn't trust myself or believe in myself, nor trust that, that mentor in my life, like everything what made me feel as if I wasn't enough. Mm. So when when mentors in the strength conditioning world said, Hey, you're a bright fellow mm. at, at 27, 28 years old. Like, you know, I know this is going to be tough. You're changing careers and all these things. But if you start to write and you start to try some of these things, I'm like, no, oh, that's not my path. I don't want to do that. What the hell are you talking mm. about? Like mm. all I kept comparing myself was, okay, you're here. That's where I want to be. Right. Not taking a step back to to realize like what they're telling me are the steps to getting there. Mm. And That happened everywhere I went at any job I faced. There was always a challenge. I had trouble with superior trouble with other men. And it was, I'm not sure why until now I've realized that. Yeah. That's such
0: a good point, man. Cause it's, it's like, we don't see what's right in front of us, especially for guys. We don't see the support. That's literally an arm's length away. Or we view the support as like, ah, he's trying to get me off my path so that I don't take, I don't overtake him. When was the real shift for you to seeing it from a different way or or not seeing it, I guess isn't the full word, to experiencing it a different way?
1: Honestly, not until the last few years when I found you and the nation and all the other brothers just like getting me to think a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, I did need that rock bottom. Mm
0: -hmm. And that rock bottom for you was? The divorce and almost taking my life. Yeah. Let's dive dive into the divorce a bit. Uh, It's always a fun topic. I love there's a a meme that's like getting divorced is like tumbling down a hill locked in a porta potty. (laughs) I'll never forget that. That's pretty fucking much how it is. I I know very few men, especially who are like divorce, love it. Would love to do it again, even if they were in contentious relationships or even if they're the ones who filed. So tell us a little bit about the decision to file for divorce yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. So it, it was a tough one, um, meaning I did everything to hold on at all costs. I mean, my own identity, my own self-worth, my reputation. Uh, I went to the lowest lows of all, all points a man could ever see mm-hmm. uh, to, to make this relationship hold on, meaning I knew my ex-wife was with another man. Mm-hmm. 100% knew it. Mm-hmm. And I did the thing of, okay, well, she loves me. She'll stop. I found out. Mm -hmm. No problem. That went on for a good year. Wow. That must have been a hell of a year for you. It was really dark. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say this to people, the only time that I felt like with myself, which was interesting, was when I was with my daughter. Mm -hmm. I was free. I was actually laughing. And But any other time, I was in like, fight or flight, like Marine road, like get the heck away from me. Like I'm going to pound weights and and drink and do all these things. And Mm -hmm. it was a internal battle for sure. Mm. George, what was the deciding point
0: for you? What was the, like yesterday I was okay with continuing to live this way today. I'm not, I'm filing. Like what was the, I know it's proverbial, but the straw that broke your decisions back.
1: Yeah. So I had moved out. We were out for about six months at this point. Um, And that was, that was still me trying to hold on. I'm like, I'll move out, give her some space, see what happens. So, but that space actually gave me more time to, to see the truth, no matter how painful it was. And so I, I was breaking down everywhere. I was losing clients. I was losing money. I was losing sleep. I was doing a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, things that I had said I never wanted to do. Mm And I was so afraid for my daughter and in that type of like bond and, and relationship that I found courage to just walk into the, the, the courtroom and ask for divorce papers. Mm. And I, I remember sitting in the courtroom and uh, shaking with papers in my hand, like literally for 30, 45 minutes, tears coming down, like just like, well, if I want to bring this back, what do I do? And Mm -hmm. I remember going walking up to the to the window. I'm like, if I want to appeal this, like, can I always appeal that? She said, absolutely anytime. Mm -hmm. It was just these thoughts, these thoughts. But then I gave it in. And I went to look by the lake and just let it all out and cry. It was the first time I realized like this needed to be over. Like Mm -hmm. it was better. I couldn't see that at the time because after that, I went into even darker mode where Mm -hmm. I had as much sex as I could. I slept in my car in Boston. Mm. Because I was working at a gym, I could just sh- shower in the morning when I woke up. No one knew, mm. and it was these very dark place that I was in for a while that mm-hmm. led me to almost taking my life. Actually,
0: yeah, it's it's so real. I think the the breakdown of marriage and a family hits, and, and I don't know. I'm not saying this scientifically. This is just my experience. It hits men differently then it hits women it affects us differently and i think it affects us not i won't say harder that's not fair but we oftentimes don't have the skill set to navigate the emotion the experience to navigate the emotion or the community within which to navigate the emotion so man i get it i remember it's it's fucking impossible like you just don't think that you're going to make it and what's interesting in my experience now working with thousands of men and talking to a number of women as well is it feels like the first 6-8 months maybe year after a divorce men fall apart men go dark men hit rock bottom where women actually thrive until the year mark and then it starts to swap men actually find their power they find they if they do it right like they go back and heal all this stuff that they'd never looked at before. They realized their position in society. They realized the, 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 opportunities that they have in front of them. Um, I won't speak to women's experience. I just re- the ones who I've communicated with, it gets, it goes downhill often at the year mark. So those are your three, right? So you've had entered the Marine Corps, left the Marine Corps, got divorced. What was it about, let's just say the combination of the three, George, or that, the position you found yourself after your divorce, where you said, "Okay, I think I'm going to try something new. I think I'm going to try writing. I think I'm going to try expressing myself in a different format. What led to that?
1: Yeah. So I think the underlying theme that made me really make the choice to find someone like you and other men in my life and to to use that sport for the first time was it was that idea that I am enough mm-hmm. because I was told I wasn't enough that there was these patterns that, you helped me recognize and many other people like, okay, well, like I know this hurts, but there's an underlying theme to all this journey that you've been on. And I think it's, it was you that you said, you're like, Hey, the divorce didn't happen just because your wife lost attraction to you and all of these things because you never trusted yourself enough. You never like led with full alignment of who you were inside. And I was like, oh shit, like, where does that happen? You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the choice to say like enough was enough was, you know, with help with you and many other people, but I just couldn't take it anymore. Mm. Like, luckily I had some good friends to help me on my path and things like that, but I didn't want to repeat, you know, I had a daughter and what I went through as a kid during divorce was horrible. Like I was bouncing around, never home fights between everybody. Like no one ever told us was going on. I have a two and a half year old daughter at the time. Mm. And I said, I don't want her to go through that. Like I want her to love men and to see that it's okay to have two different types of men in her life, no matter what has happened. Mm -hmm. And I want to create a relationship with her to, to, to let her know that sometimes things may not work out the way they're supposed to. And that it's all okay. Yeah. But that's a, I hope you give yourself credit, man. That is
0: a fucking brave move. And, and it's an easy thing to say in theory. And I imagine in day-to-day practice, in hour-to-hour practice, sometimes I imagine in minute-to-minute practice, the idea that you're going to show up authent- authentically, it's a fucking journey, isn't it? So how, how did you like walk us through a bit of that journey, if you would, George, of like, the, the, not reconstruction, but the deconstruction of your identity as a prior Marine and a fitness guy into this iteration of you now who... Is deeply spiritual, is open to different ideas. Who literally just published his first book? And it's not like a three-part series on how to deadlift bigger. It's <laughs> it's a book about emotional intelligence and pain and suffering and courage and, and intimacy and all the things. Talk talk us through a little bit of your transformation.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean I'm gonna also give credit to you because this is where the universe does fucking listen, but it's still the shit. It's mind blowing, but anyways, speaking of deadlifting, I'm deadlifting at the gym, and your damn YouTube video comes up, like "Make Pain Your Guru." Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of like saw you here and there and heard you on a mm-hmm. podcast, but I was like, ah, this guy's TEDx, like I can't afford mm-hmm. this. Like, what? The, I'm in the middle of doors, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm like, I'm gonna click on that. That sounds like something I'm interested. In. So rather than deadlift, I go out and go, go to listen to your TED talk, and I'm like, mm-hmm. ah. I'm like fighter, like cage fighter uh, darkness, like all things, like I intuitively understood. Right. I'm like, well, this guy can do it. I can do it. I wasn't quite ready yet. Um, and so I thought about them. then we were on the phone call. And so you actually helped me see like my story, my true story. Mm-hmm. You're like, dude, this is not going to be easy. Like, I know this costs money. Um, he's like, but I can tell you if you believe in yourself this much, like it will unfold. Yeah. And so I found a credit card, charged it, Uh, We even worked out a little plan and it was the hardest 12 to 16 weeks I've gone through at first for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just allowed me to, you basically created a container for me, even though we were so far apart.
0: Mm.
1: And it was the first time that I trusted someone else enough to look into my life like that. And what did you see when you looked into your life? I started to see a little boy. I started to see a warrior. I started to see a lover. Like all these different types of characters mesh into one. And then you said, "Hey, just try writing about your feelings." And I'm like, "What? What the fuck? No, no, no. That's why." I'm <laughs> now look at this. There's hundreds of pages of your
0: feelings.
1: <laughs> oh, this is why I love transformation. No, fuck no. I'm not doing that. That's the stupidest. Uh, I'm like, no, dude, I'm not doing that. You're like, and then you, you, we did a visualization exercise. Next thing I know, I was at like on a lake, just writing in a journal. <laughs> what did writing do for you, George? Cause, and, I, and I'm not trying to push writing here.
0: You and I no. are both writers yet. There are people who sing. There are people who build, there's people who carve wood. There's people who I don't give a fuck what, it, what the medium is, but what did writing do for you?
1: Well, truthfully, I didn't know how to write at that time. And it was voice memos first. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was still going back and forth to Boston doing all these things. So I got on my phone in the car, started just yelling, writing, conscious rants, whatever you want to call it. I was crying. Mm -hmm. Like it was released. And I was like, oh, wow, this kind of feels good. So I'd show up to work less angry, less resentful. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put my life on my clients. And that started to roll. And I was like, there's gotta be something here, like, yeah, like that I can go deeper. So writing allowed me to like, I call it like close the loops.
0: Mm. If it Same was on my mind,
1: sure, if if it was so heavy in my life, but all I did was work out and maybe yell it out, I still felt like it, it was like weighing me down. Mm-hmm. But when I put it to the paper, it felt like a different type of release I, for someone who's good with words. I can't even explain the way it felt. All I knew is that every time I wrote in my journal, I felt lighter and lighter and lighter.
0: I think you you use the perfect words because it's real. Right. And, and what, what about feeling lighter was like seductive to you or interesting to you? Cause I, I also know a lot of people, George, who journal for two weeks and are like, yeah, I felt better. I'm like, well, what, what'd you do now? Well, I, it just wasn't my thing. So wh- what do you think kept you like, cause, cause you took this by the, the, the horns and, and ran with it. Like you, you've, you've, you wrote a book, like a lot of people, you know, I had, I'm looking at to my left, uh, 12 full journals before I ever wrote anything publicly. What, what started, what, what was it about writing that kept you engaged? And then what was the
1: turning point for you to start to write publicly? Mm. So I think the idea that kept me engaged was it was like my own ritual, like connection to something greater than, than myself, like mm. than George in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, literally, I'd wake up, uh, I have post- large post-it notes walls I actually just took down, but I couldn't sleep. And so these large post-it notes, uh, it was like early in the morning. Um, I have to go backwards now. Previously to doing that, like I would wake up extremely early from like PTSD dreams or something like that. And then like, caught, like a down energy drink and a pot of coffee and go crush a workout. Yeah. And now we got to go backwards. You in a, in, a, in a retreat telling me to like, don't work out in mm-hmm. that whole week. Uh, I'm off track now, but anyways, that whole week of learning how to feel your feelings turned into instead of working out when i felt heavy and anger and stuff i would just sit in the journal and say mm. like i feel angry this mm. feels like i feel like like i want to clench my fists and that was all in the journal like i started getting out of my head and into my heart into my body by yeah. listing what i felt
0: mm. by naming
1: it naming it listing it creating it mm. sometimes it was just like i'm angry like a, like mm-hmm. squiggle lines mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was something. St- Spiritual that just kept me going. So every morning I would, I would return to like darkness itself and say, if I just stayed here and wrote a little bit longer, what would happen? Mm. And so I would. And the journal turned into like, okay, there's something there. Like I'm gonna let that sit and come back to that. And it's in a book. And it was just this powerful connection. And I said, okay, I'm gonna sit my ass down every morning from 4.30 to like 6.30 before Melina gets up and write. And that's all I did. It's a profound medium, right? For, for for people
0: who it grabs, it grabs us fully. Hope you're loving this conversation with George. This was so moving for me. Uh, speaking of books, if you haven't gotten a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, it is now on Amazon. The print copy is now on Amazon. And this thing is now flying off the shelves. We are actually selling more books now than we did in the first two months when the thing first came out. So please head to Amazon, grab yourself a copy, or if you bought it before and have read it, please head to Amazon and leave me a review. I know it's simple. I know it's a little bit petty, but that stuff makes a huge, huge difference to getting this book into more and more men's hands. Okay. Back to George. Can you talk a little bit about your decision or where you were in life or or both to start to begin to share some of this publicly? Because it is a country mile to go from a journal to something that the general population has access to.
1: Yeah, sure. So not too many people know this, but I was like in the middle of this transition process, I was I had a successful like online coaching business called Fathers of War for veterans. Mm. And it was purely health and fitness and mindset. And so that was like a you know a whole 10 step process like do these things in your life, and you'll get X results, which works great for veterans and military people. That's the
0: way we work. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the five-step process to fix my problem without feeling my problem?
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had that going. That was like a whole nother manuscript. But then, like, I was drawn to uh, the first real like one of the first real articles I wrote on Medium was called Five Uncomfortable Things I Learned About Divorce. Mm. And you know what? Not a lot of people know this, but that was just supposed to be for me.
0: Mm.
1: It was supposed to be a private article, but I hit public by accident. Mm. And there goes all the views and the likes mm. and mm. the comments. And the mm. t- I'm like, what? what just happened? Like, that was for me. And so that led to like, okay, I'm going to commit to writing one feeling article a week. And I still have. So there's over a hundred and something for the last two years. Wow. That's just my feelings. Mm. It's raw, unedited, and straight from the heart. Wow. Talk, let's go back to that first article.
0: Other than the, oh, fuck, what have I done? What about it became impactful for you? Or what about it let you realize that you were having an impact?
1: It, w- it was liberating to see that other people were reading it and relating to it. That was the first thing I was like, wow, like, I'm free to talk about this like it's mm-hmm. not taboo I, like i'm not a failure like i am enough like people like relate to this that was like oh. mm-hmm. and then second of all i wasn't afraid of it anymore mm-hmm. you weren't afraid of what divorce of being like my dad being like my parents like gotcha I, I just realized like i'm not like them yeah even though i said i wasn't going to be and i was the same exact spot but that was because. I had learned to forgive myself yesterday for not knowing what I know right now for me at that time.
0: Yeah. Powerful.
1: And there, there's a difference between being in the same spot
0: and creating the same experience, right? You could have created the same divorce experience that you lived through for, for your child. You could have a lot of people do. I'd say the vast majority of people do. It takes a intervention or some Blurp and consciousness for you to go, wait a minute, didn't want to be here, but I'm here. Now that I am here, I accept that. How do I do this differently? So I hope you give yourself credit for that too. Okay, so you start writing, and it's this cascade, I imagine, of wow, people are into this. People are okay with this. I'm okay with this. How does it go from a daily kind of
1: public journal on medium to the idea of a book? Yeah, sure. So again, credit you. You told me to keep writing no matter what. So I kept that up. But I had a poll inside, like a soul's calling, whatever you want to call it, to uh, give a call to one of my old mentors in the fitness industry. He's a New York Times bestseller, John Romanello. And I said, I said, Roman, I I got a book, I believe. I just wrote, you know, 25,000, 30,000 woods. I need some help. It's like, yeah, sure. It's 1,800 bucks. I'm like, huh? Hmm. Like, like, "Well, you want my professional help, not my friendship help." Mm-hmm. And I said, "All right, let's do it." So we got on a call, and uh, you know, his heartfelt guidance and everything, he sat me down. You know he actually spent way longer than he could have. We sat about three and a half hours together, and, he, and we dissected what I had the Father's War book. Mm-hmm. He, go, "You know you got too good of a story mm-hmm. to create this 10-step process of life, you know? He's like, throw this in the, throw this in your drawer. He's like, this just taught you and confirmed every negative belief you had about yourself that you can do this and that you're not who you were. You're who you want to become. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I, I did, I, I put it in the drawer and I took a little breather. And then I started to connect some of the things I wrote earlier, I looked at my journal and said like, okay, where at still didn't have an outline. If anybody's rec- writing a book, I, I recommend you have an outline. Yeah, Anyways. Out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I wrote this book with no outline <laughs> straight from the heart. Mm. And it started putting together the pieces, the poems, the essays, the, 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 little bits, like the little, we'll call them universe winks where people were like hitting me a little bit more at what I wrote. And I was like, "Oh, well, there's something there. I'm going to mm-hmm. go deeper. You know, and that's how I put it all together. Amazing. I I love the backstory behind a story.
0: What was the process like for you? Was this, was it very structured? Was it, you know, I'm going to sit down and write in a six week blitz? Was it, I'm going to do an hour a day? Was it after I put my child to bed, I'm going to do it at night? Talk talk me through some of the process.
1: Yeah. So I know that I was always best first thing in the morning. Mm. Not sure if it was the Marines or whatever it was, but like I function a lot better early in the morning. doesn't mean I like it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm know. i with you. Or it doesn't mean I condone waking up early, but for me, I just, it's just, just what I did because I had Melina, I had, a, a, you know, trying to process all the, put everything together and with clients all day. Like the only way I could give my most effective energy to it was wake up early and did it. So I said, okay, George, uh, I'm just going to start with 30 minutes each morning. So 30 minutes was a writing process like after journaling and everything like i commit sit down for 30 minutes write as many words as i knew from journal to the transcript and it was working so a few weeks of 30 minutes i was like okay i'm gonna try 45. Mm. and then a few weeks of 45 I was working i was like cool and then i said okay 90 minutes you want this like it's working let's go and so 90 mm. minutes every day every day monday through like sunday through sunday mm. no matter what i wrote wow and sometimes 50 words came out. Sometimes I was pulling my hair. Sometimes voice memos came out. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I did not leave until that 90 minutes was up. Mm-hmm. And that turned into the book.
0: Wow, that's powerful. Good for you. It's, you. I think we both know 5,000 people who, in quotes, are writing a book or want to write a book uh, or are thinking about writing a book. But very few people understand the process of what this will cost you in time, energy, emotion, lost sleep. Uh, it is a it is a fucking process to write a book. So, OK, congratulations. Books out. Talk to me about actually before we even get there, how did the process of writing the book change you
1: as a as a man, as a human, as a father, as a all the things start first as a, as a father because my connection to Melina, um you know again it was something like not trusting love and all that like my connection to melina like I, I i believe is is amazing mm-hmm. um and each morning she would tiptoe you know i i live in a loft so right over here like little room i'd be writing away She'd tiptoe over like tap me on the shoulder like i'm awake daddy and i'd put her head on my shoulder i'd Whoa. read her some words know it was this connection that made me feel like i was alive and that like Mm. i wanted her to be part of it even though she's so small and couldn't right and that allowed me to really create this amazing connection because i was like okay she doesn't deserve to to know what like really she can understand that i'm angry and sad but not what's going on on the the overall theme sure So that allowed that writing the book allowed me to do that Mm -hmm. as a man it sent me on a different journey because they say when you write a book, it truly transforms you, transforms you, and you have to become the book.
0: Hmm. And
1: I didn't know what that meant <laughs> until I submitted the first manuscript. Okay. And then they came back with the edits. And I was like, whoa, the red, like, what is that? And that allowed me to go deeper and see that, like, this was a reflection of my life in this, this time frame. Mm-hmm. and it allowed me to to be vulnerable to live with an open heart to accept myself not use my body as a machine a big difference between like using your body as a machine versus like accepting yourself to work out and train right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it took me you know on a different journey of one year of celibacy i'm almost three years sober wow uh, you know i got involved in some sex scene stuff and all mm-hmm. this crazy things that I never knew it was possible until I just let George have fun in life again.
0: Good for you, man. It's, it is a journey. Let, let's walk me through, if you would, the day it came in the mail or the day you got the final edit or like, I, I think it was Tony Robbins who says the definition of magic is literally taking the invisible and making it visible. And I think it's, it's even more unique for us as writers the, the day we hold the first version, because you've like lived this thing, you've breathed it, you slept it. You're so fucking sick of it. You're tired of editing it yet. You're so in love with it, but it's all ethereal, right? It lives on a computer. It's words on a screen. It's not, it doesn't, it's not real until you hold it. So what, what was that day like for you?
1: Oh, you know, they, they played a trick on me. I got this wonderful uh frame behind me that i thought it was the book so i was with my <laughs> daughter and i had cried earlier in the day i was like this is it <laughs> and i opened it up and i was like oh, it's a frame don't get me wrong i'm very grateful for this frame behind me that's signed with all the numbers and stuff but i was like crap and it came in a week later and i was like this is like well, i was speechless yeah with my hand hand over the cover like just touching the texture and the, and mm. the feel and what came through me when I closed my eyes was like this flashback of the last three years mm-hmm. of like, wow, I did that. Mm-hmm. And then the acceptance of it's up to the book gods. Now I did yeah. my work legitimately yeah. did my work.
0: Yeah. And, and love and so, it or hate
1: it. No one can take that away from you ever. Yeah. And I'm actually, uh, you know, next in eight days, I'm heading out to Death Valley for a soul quest good for you i hope you it's it's hard george
0: we oftentimes especially as men build and build and build and build and build and there's this huge thing of like i'm holding my book in my hand and then i swear to god it's like six hours later like all right what are we going to do next as opposed (sighs) to you know like a month of celebration and and (laughs) so Did you, do you feel like you, you had time or like a ceremony or something where you got to honor like the actual, like just how incredible it is that you've created this thing?
1: Truthfully, no. And I think that's why I'm going out to this, this soul quest, this, this, this death valley to honor it, but Mm -hmm. also to let it all go. Yeah. Right. Isn't that the motherfucker though, that. At
0: some point, you will look back. Like I forget about my first book. I forget about Today I Rise. I'm like, oh yeah, shit, I wrote that. And yet it was so monumental at the time. So do you feel like there's a way you can carry some of it with you? Or I mean, because your your journey with this book, it's like part A is done, but part B hasn't even begun. You haven't done a book tour. You haven't had, you know, thousands of people show up to get autographs. You haven't had people tell you in droves that it change their life or save their life or, or whatever that it's going to do for them. Are you, are you creating space for the next phase of this and is, is perhaps what that soul journey is about?
1: Yeah. I believe that this, the 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 new he- cycle of the hero's journey that I'm on mm-hmm. is actually to allow me to embody the mm-hmm. man that I truly want to become inside. Mm. And so this was that, that, that cycle, the hero's journey was like going through that, creating it, uh, it came home, all that, all that cycle, bam, done. The new hero's journey is like discovering how to use this, accept it and bring it into another cycle to make it even stronger and even better. Yeah. Good for you, man. What
0: do you hope for this book? You personally, you, George, the guy.
1: Uh, you know, it actually already happened. Um, three people reached out to me and said, you know, I, ha- I have permission to, to not fail, to not l- to let go, to, mm. to start it over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was the main goal of the book. Like if one person reached out to me and said like, you know, this book changed my life, which it already has, yeah, then I was happy. But the grand scheme of it is that this is the foundation of what it means to really overcome the struggles in your life. Yeah. George, what would you
0: say to someone who's listening to this? Who's like, okay, great story. Dude wrote a book. I'm on day three of my wife leaving and she took my kid. And I'm sitting here looking at a bottle of vodka and a bottle of pills. And I fucking hate myself. Like, what's step one for someone? Maybe even not that extreme. Because so much of mine, I'm asking you this because I say this on almost every episode. So many of the listeners here are in transition or about to be in transition because transitions happen to us all the time, or even harder, they're fighting like fucking hell to not accept the transition that's already arrived for them. So, what do you say to, and let's speak specifically to men, to that man?
1: I'm going to close my eyes and take a breather on this one. Go for it. Speaking of close your eyes, if you're in that place of struggle, You know, you first close your eyes and just take a few deep breaths. And if you can stay with those breaths a little bit longer, you know, you can ask what it is that your heart wants from you. You know, what are you truly afraid of in that moment of struggle? And then from there, take another deep breath and see that you know, to trust your heart because this is your life and you can always restart. You know, you're not what happened to you. You are who you choose to become. Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. I remember finding like, I know it's a meme, but it was a meme early on that was like, it's never, ever too late to reinvent yourself. And thinking like, you know, my, was like, well, I'm 40, it's too late. Right. Like, Life's over. And you find people at 60, at 70, at 80 who are
1: having to reinvent themselves. So I I really appreciate that. Another thing is I'd say, you know, this is like on the structural side of things, like, okay, if you can't get in touch with your heart, you can't feel and it's too scary. Like, you know, reach out, man. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be afraid, like to reach out to other men or therapists, you know, find another man. For sure. Because that's what literally saved me. Like I went through my phone that day and called every motherfucker in my phone till one good friend called up on the West Coast. He picked up and said, dude, I'm here for you. What do you need?
0: I think that's the best advice of every podcast and any podcast, especially for guys, is just take that first terrifying step of letting someone else know that you're in the suck, right? And it may just be someone being like, yeah, I got no advice for you. But I'm here with you. It sucks. I yep. Your life sucks. And I'm still here. And I think that is that is more medicine than any 12-point guide to navigating hard shit, right? Is just realizing you're not alone. Uh, super, super impactful, George. Here's a kind of a, a you know, a tricky question or a, not trick question, but what was I love asking it? What was one of the unintended positive consequences of your writing journey? And what was something that you didn't realize would be challenging that was?
1: So the unintended positive consequence was letting go of the relationship between me and my ex-wife and actually seeing like, okay, like there's the man that I saw things that I wish no man could ever walk in upon Mm -hmm. and letting that all go which was incredibly powerful Hmm. because I finally said like, I'm not letting that control who I was. And then what was the other part of it?
0: What was uh, something that you didn't think would be challenging that was challenging?
1: I didn't think it would be this challenging right now where I'm at to accept all of the amazing opportunities that are unfolding. Because as we said earlier, my mind, like many men wants to like, what's next? What can I do now? I wrote a book. I'm a Marine. Like I've got all this cool stuff. Like, what do I want to do now? (laughs) Yeah, I get it.
0: It's yeah. It's surrendering to all that could be from this, right? We're doers. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do next? How do I, how do I maximize this yet? I can tell you of a number of opportunities that I've had since writing my first book that came from someone random reading it and reaching out that I never would have, you know, like 50 miles away from being possible. So I hope you stay open to all of the ideas and all of the opportunities and just the magic, right? It takes a little bit of magic to write a book, but it also takes a lot of effort. And yet it feels like what you're saying is, The challenge is now being open to the magic that you don't even know about. George, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you could go back to the, you who the very first time you sat down and wrote and say anything to that man,
1: what would you say? You got me stumped. (laughs) Keep writing. Never stop. Amen. I love That's it. a tough one. Yeah,
0: I love it. Uh, as someone who's watched a lot of your journey, but will take far less responsibility and credit for for the credit you've given, because I've seen you do all the work. I cannot tell you how proud I am. It has been unfucking believable to watch you both hammer away on the discipline side and the doing side. But what's more impressive to me is just. The journey you've allowed yourself to go through emotionally and uh, spiritually. So brother, I am so fucking proud of you. Congratulations on creating this. And I know that like people don't get that this is, this is nothing of the the story that I'm holding the book up for those of you who are listening to this only. It's like, you see a book and walk by it, but don't realize that it's an entire life journey just to, just to be willing to sit down and write something. So Congratulations. Thank you. You're so fucking welcome. For people who want to find out more about you, find the book, find out about your programs and your coaching and your offerings, where do they go? How do they get more George Colantis in their life?
1: Yeah. You can just uh, hit me up on Instagram like everyone else. <laughs> it's actually because there's a million George Colantis is uh, really an, uh, unconditional side of being Greek. Uh, <laughs> so it's, underscore george colantis actually there's a george colantis who's a professor who, who published like 20 books so like oh. yeah
0: <laughs> don't hit anyways, him up yeah no,
1: under underscore george colantis and then the art of transitions.com has everything there the art of tough transitions
0: amazing brother i look forward to seeing you again soon thank you so much for coming on this has been both impactful to the audience i know but just so heartwarming to me too i love you and i'm so fucking proud
1: of you well done thank you man love you too my pleasure
0: this is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.